Extracting. Every home and office should have a fire extinguisher, although there's a good chance that it will sit on the wall for years collecting dust. It could end up saving your property or even your life. So, what does a fire extinguisher consist of? The main part of the extinguisher is simply a large metal container that is cylindrical in shape, rather like a bell jar. In the past, these used to be red, but nowadays they come in many different colours. The container is full of water or some other substance, such as foam, that can be used to smother a fire. At the top of the container is a lever, and attached to the lever there is a thin extended pin that goes down into a gas cartridge. This looks rather like a small bottle or flask, and is right in the centre of the extinguisher. Below the lever, there's a curved handle. Which is used to hold the extinguisher and direct it at the fire. On the other side from the handle, there is a horizontal nozzle that opens when the lever is pressed and emits a jet of water. At the neck of the container, there is a small coiled spring that holds the pin in place, and this is connected to a long tube which runs from the spring to the bottom of the container. This is called the discharge tube. Which is where the water comes out of the extinguisher into the air. Track eleven. A fire extinguisher can quickly put out a small fire before it spreads. First of all, take the extinguisher out of its case and pull out the safety pin. Nothing will happen when you do this. It just unlocks the extinguisher. Holding it by the handle, point the extinguisher at the fire or whatever is burning. Then all you have to do is to press the lever at the top of the container. This pressure causes the long pin to move down into the gas cartridge. As it does this, it releases gas into the upper part of the cylinder. The gas then forces the water in the main part of the container up the discharge tube and out of the nozzle. Producing a jet of water which can put out burning materials such as paper and wood. Track twelve. Question one. So, how did your first week of architecture go? Not bad, but Monday is incredibly busy. I've got three two-hour lectures that day.、Oh, really? What are they? Well, we start with construction at ten o'clock. That's really just engineering theory. Then I have an hour off to go to the library and catch up on some reading. And at one o'clock we have a lecture on computer-assisted drawing, <laughs> and that's learning how to use computer programs to help you design buildings. No time for lunch then. <laughs> no, exactly. And we finish the day with a lecture on history. Whoa, that is a full day. Question two. You will hear a man telling a group of hikers what to take on a bushwalk. Now, we recommend that you get yourself a small bag to carry your supplies in, but please, not a heavy rucksack. The lighter, the better. Make sure you wear a good pair of hiking boots with thick socks. You'll need a decent-sized plastic water bottle that can be easily refilled. Don't bring cans of soft drink, as they don't quench your thirst. And we'll be stopping for a picnic lunch, 
so please bring sandwiches or fruit, that sort of thing. And we recommend a wide-brimmed hat to protect you from the flies, which can be pretty irritating at this time of year. You may need suntan lotion too, and of course, don't forget your binoculars, because the view from the top of the mountain is fantastic, but you won't get the full benefit if you're just wearing sunglasses. Question 3. In what way are sharks different from other fish? Well, for one thing, they have to keep moving constantly. And that's not the case with other fish? No. Bony fish can stay still because they have a kind of bladder which keeps them afloat, but not sharks. Basically, they're heavier than water, you see, so if they don't keep moving, they sink. Is that so? And another interesting thing is that they can't swim backwards, though they're not alone there, actually. And we've recently discovered that even though they're big, they can still leap into the air from really deep water to catch their prey, things like seals. But they have that in common with other large fish. Wow, they're pretty awesome creatures, aren't they? Question 4. The Chibao Centre is a magnificent building that symbolises the existence of the Kanak people, the original inhabitants of the islands of New Caledonia in the Pacific Ocean. It was designed by the world-famous Italian architect Renzo Piano and was opened to the public in 1997. The centre itself is based, in every detail, on the layout of a traditional Kanak village, made up of three sections which contain exhibition spaces, a library, as well as conference and lecture rooms. It's surrounded by beautiful gardens and is naturally ventilated with many spaces open to the elements. Questions 5 to 7. I've always been interested in plane spotting ever since I was a little kid growing up in Holland. I think I just like the look of them, you know? How each airline has a different tail to identify it, like a flag. I used to go to the international airport with my dad and we try to see every plane in an airline's fleet. They each have a serial number, though it's quite a job to see them all. And I love seeing planes from unusual places, even though I don't really want to go there myself. I also like souvenirs from planes, and I get my friends to bring me things whenever they fly anywhere. I've got tray tables and knives and forks, and I've even got a seatbelt. I take about 7,000 photos of planes a year, and I'm often down here at 5 in the morning to catch a shot of the plane's landing. You're not actually supposed to get too near the airfield. You should be 3 meters away from the fence. Quite often the patrol cars come round and tell you to move away. But I love the sound of the jet planes. The louder the better for me. I've never flown in a plane, you know. I'm actually scared stiff of flying. Track 13 Paddling around on a river in a small boat is not everyone's idea of fun, and it can sometimes be a lot riskier than you think. But more and more people are getting involved in this new sport, 
and taking their boats onto dangerous rivers to enjoy what is called white water canoeing. Canoes, which are narrow boats to start with and usually hold only one or two people at the most, are particularly well known for being unstable and turning over in the water. Cynthia Barton, one of Britain's top canoeists, talks about what the sport is and how to get started if you're thinking of taking it up. Track 14 A lot of people may be familiar with what I call recreational canoeing. That's where you take a canoe out onto a nice calm river with a picnic and have a relaxing time. But if you're doing white water canoeing, then you're doing something very different. White water canoeing actually gets its name from the fact that when you do it, you've got to be paddling very rapidly through the water. And when you're doing that, you make a lot of froth and bubbles and the water looks white. First of all, you will need to think about equipment. You'll need to get yourself a good canoe and these can set you back anything from £500 to £1,500, depending on the material they're made of. Personally, I wouldn't go for a cheap one, although obviously this depends on your budget. And to protect yourself against rocks when you fall out of the canoe, and believe me, you will fall out, you'll need a good quality helmet. It needs to meet certain government standards, so make sure you go to a reputable supplier. And there's no point, particularly as a beginner, in wearing anything but a wetsuit. That's a must. I'd recommend one with short sleeves rather than long sleeves. Then you'll have to get a life jacket too, and I would also suggest that you get yourself a pair of river shoes. These are made out of the same material as the wetsuit. Some people think that ordinary rubber boots will do, but they're much too loose and fill up with water. It is also essential to wear something to protect your hands from the paddles and stop them from being rubbed. Track 15 The popular rivers are in fact graded from 1 to 6 in the same way that ski runs are graded to tell people just how flat or steep they are. Once you're an expert, which can take some time, you can of course try anything and really serious canoeists who want a real challenge go out a lot more in the winter when the water level is high and deliberately look for the most dangerous rivers. Whatever you say about this sport, it is never dull. Generally, it's a fantastic sport for the... Track 16 